0: today i was reminded of a conversation i had uh, t- 22 years ago uh, with my main teacher lama sopa rinpoche in uh, kathmandu it was my first uh, personal uh, contact with him and in that uh, that uh, meeting in that conversation he said uh, two mainly two things to me and the first one was you should think about becoming a monk (laughs) so that changed my life in a dramatic way uh, that sentence and the second um, The second thing was actually what made me... uh, That was how he hooked me in uh, doing that crazy thing. And that was... And after some years you drop all practices except meditating on the nature of mind. After a few years you drop all practices except... Uh, the meditation on the nature of mind and uh, that was something which sounded so inspiring and so beautiful and so simple for me that I felt yes that's that's what i'm going to do single pointedly dedicate my life to go to that to go on that journey what does it mean to meditate on the nature of your mind what is the nature of the mind and where is it and why would i do it and and i really feel like in in this journey now I was 20 20 22 years in kind of full-time in the Tibetan tradition uh, that um, it has been really a journey of uh, simplifying my practice uh, and uh, bringing more and more and in that simplification to bring effortlessness into the practice. So it is really a journey of doing less and getting it all, all what you would wish for, really genuinely. So, that's my practice, meditating on the nature of mind. And The good thing is, the nature of mind is everywhere, at any time. You don't need to go somewhere. You don't need to do something special. You don't need to assume a certain posture. It has nothing to do with study. So you don't need to learn Tibetan and uh, you know learn all the complicated stuff. It's it's very simple. It's the nature of mind. And it was a big, big relief for me to understand that I can't understand what it is meant. What is meant when they say, meditate on the nature of mind. It's not something I can understand. It's a a bit like tasting an apple. So you can study everything about apples and how to grow it and what it is made of. Uh, But uh, you can't understand how, how the taste is of an apple. So similar, to meditate on the nature of mind is not an intellectual gesture, it's not an understanding. That was such a relief for me to figure that out after about 10 years of heavy duty practice and 10 years of studying and trying to figure it out and reading all the books and having teachings every day in the Tibetan tradition, trying to understand what Lama Sopa meant when he said, meditate on the nature of mind. Ah, such a relief. It's not about understanding something. Hi. Where do you want to sit <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I hope you don't have cold feet. <laughs> So, I can't explain what is meant with the nature of mind. It's a bit frustrating maybe for the intellectual mind. But uh, it is something which we can share. It is actually something which reveals itself in, in relationships. It's actually not something you can figure out by yourself by reading books or, so it is actually a relational discovery. But what is um, what is really supportive? Uh, in that, in that journey, is uh, relaxation. And this is really uh, so much emphasized in the in the two traditions in Tibetan Buddhism, where they really focus on the nature of mind, and that's the Mahamudra and the Dzogchen tradition. You, you don't need to remember the names or something like that. But these are the two, two traditions where, where it's about yeah. meditating on the nature of mind. And in these traditions, uh, what is really emphasized is uh, relaxation. So that is what I, um, what I initially would encourage everyone uh, to explore how can I let go of pressure. How can I you know, how can I shift from the struggle, controlling, fixing, improving? So how can I shift from that into more and more, oh, more and more wow? Oh. I'm home, I have arrived, as an experience, mainly in your body, because that's where the, you know, the pressure which is installed in you, from your parents, from your education, and then on top from your spiritual practice, from your tradition, uh, that's where, where it's stored, uh, that, that pressure, that contraction. So to explore when we sit quietly here, hopefully supported by my by by, by the images and by the words I say. Uh, to go, you know, to always in your sitting, in your meditation sitting and then in daily life to go towards that that more softness, more space. Like a fist opening, like a flower opening. And then and then also to become more mindful how spiritual instructions and meditation instructions actually put more pressure into your being or into your life. More guilt, more shame, more the wish to self-improve, more judgment towards your feelings and your thoughts and who you are and how life looks like. It's so easy that the the instructions in the Tibetan tradition who are meant to liberate us. They become more and more like a a prison, like a, a corset where we try to squeeze ourselves in. So that is for me, and that's of course not an easy path, because you need to be a rebel. You need to stand up for your preferences, for your needs, for what you need in your spiritual practice, in your meditation. It's so easy to make your meditation practice or your what you read in the in the traditions and what you are the practices you you um, you receive that they actually become another burden you carry another idea to live up to another thing in your life where you don't feel good enough. So that's the invitation here in this evenings to just um, you know open to the pointers and the instructions where you feel where, w- which feel good for you and to just let those which where you feel they you know they disturb you or they feel like no, this is. I, I don't need that right now. And, and something in you knows. Something in you will recognize. Something in you will recognize those words. Which ah. Sometimes you hear that here. <laughs> so, ah. <coughs> Uh, that's the best meditation. You are very good at that. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always so happy uh, uh, with your meditation instructions. Uh, this is like, ah. Um, so that's, uh, that's a beautiful uh, instruction, that's a beautiful point, a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. Sometimes uh, it happens that uh, traditional meditation teachers they look down upon those people who just teach relaxation. <coughs> it, this is just they just teach relaxation and that's not what the Buddhist teaching is about. but it's actually about relaxation. It, it's about relaxation. assuming in the teachings on the nature of mind that what you're longing for and the wisdom which you're longing for so that you move in the most beneficial way in your life that that is available to you in this moment it's a matter to recognize it and to trust so, here really, not like relaxation, like massage relaxation. That's wonderful, and that can be really a preparation for that. But really, a deep relaxation in your body mind. At a very deep, a deep relaxation, really sliding into the wholeness. Sliding into the peacefulness of this moment without the need to fix anything in your life. This is a there is the possibility in this moment to find more peace, more space just there in the mess of your life and it will stay a mess. Your life will stay a mess. It will not work out. your relationship will not work out. So or your you know your neurotic stuff, So the the experience and the possibility of sliding into that spaciousness, that's the exploration. That's the journey. And this journey you do again and again and again. Short moments throughout the day, repeated, 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 again and again, until it becomes continuous. Yeah, so let's just sit quietly in that invitation <coughs> in the aftermath of you know this sharing and what is for us, I believe an important part of, Resting as the nature of your mind is that you allow your awareness to drop from the head, from the stories, uh, into the body. And this is a, a gentle gesture, like a leaf falling down onto a lake. and then just following the natural movements of the water so you feel into your legs and into the way you sit and you notice the sensation in your hands and you give yourself the permission to do nothing. And your belly. And here not as a concentration, but really as dropping into, like dropping into your body. your hands, your belly. And then the breath. So the belly can soften, the shoulders can soften. And we explore what happens if you let this moment be, if you allow, if you give space, if you let go of the meditator. Of course, uh, thoughts continue to arise and mental images, but they become less important. And then quite quickly you might be able to appreciate the stillness or the silence which we share, maybe initially it appears as an inner silence, a thought-free presence in your hands, in your belly. But then you also recognize the stillness The Silent Presence all around you. The field of awareness which we share, the heart space which arises or reveals itself when we sit quietly together in the spirit of compassion. the in-breath there is a sense of welcoming, of bathing, of touching and with the out-breath there is a sense of giving space. Mm. that there's nothing wrong with you.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. And then if there's discomfort, Breathing into, giving space with the out-breath. Nothing is included and nothing is excluded. It's nothing to understand, nothing you do you could do right. And then when you notice that you emphasize the stories without making a big deal, you drop back into the body for the love of it. There is a sense of bathing your whole body from the toes to the top of your head, like sitting in the sun, like a puppy in the sun. Returning, returning and resting. Possible stabilizing with the hands or the breath, the belly, with the stillness, the silence, even if you're agitated or tired. That doesn't matter. Peace is also happening. and opening and appreciating the stillness, short moments, the stillness from which this voice comes and is being received. and resting and then opening well there's nothing you need to focus upon. by itself. If something comes to the foreground, pleasant or unpleasant, you allow that to happen. Recognizing the insubstantiality of all appearances. um, That's this gentle dropping back into your body for the love of it. exploring effortlessness. So, this uh, invitation uh, to allow the body and mind to settle <coughs> is, of course, a different view on meditation than a view which is following the idea of control. Yeah, so, it's a different view on meditation than the view which which says you're not there yet, and you need to get there. If you want to get there, you need to put some effort into it. You need to put some discipline into it. You need to do things. You need to train your mind. So it's, uh, it's kind of two different flavors in, in one's meditation practice. Uh, I'm a metaphor I'm for uh, explaining that is uh, training a wild horse. So it's, there's the cowboy way, you know, which is like... Let's meditate, let's get this under control, mm-hmm. back to the breath, uh, working with the distractions, yeah. you know, the five hindrances, applying antidotes. And uh, it seems to work for many people, otherwise it would have died out in that 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 passive training. So it seems that many people benefit from that.
1: Yeah?
0: And certainly I did a lot of that. And then the other view is the what is called the fruitional view, the resultant view, the tantric view, which is a discovery of the stillness and the peace, which is already there. And there, uh, the metaphor uh, would be to give the wild horse of your mind a big pasture. So what what happens if you give the wild horse of your mind a big pasture because there's nothing to struggle with, there's, n- there's nothing to resist, uh, then the horse settles down. It's not going to run forever. So the horse is, is uh, sold. You give it a big place and then maybe it runs a while and then it will just settle down. Or another image is uh, the glass of water with mud, which you just you just put it there and then think that the mud is settling down and the nature of your mind reveals itself, which is the clarity of the water in that metaphor. And I guess for all of us, it's kind of a mixture between those two in our own practice. Yeah, so, But even, you know, so the part which is still like part of which is still belongs more into the control model of meditation. It's really important to do that, you know, gentle, kind. (coughs) So, yeah, there's some kind of control. So, like when I say drop, you know, drop into the body, that's, of course, a kind of control model method. Uh, so what is so important, that also there is more and more an attitude of allowing it to happen. Kind of, I wanted to express that a bit uh, with this, for the love of it. I don't know exactly what that means, yeah? but it's like that you know, that, that invitation not to make it a, a gesture of discipline, not a gesture of concentration, not a gesture of focus, not a gesture of effort, but actually like falling in love. Something which you can't resist. You can't resist to be in contact with yourself. You can't resist to be in contact with your breath for the love of it. So that sounds different than concentrate on the breath. And then you you explore, you know, so where the, where where there is contraction, like you know, the the control method meditation goes more often like this, <laughs> and the, the shoulders go up, and the the breath becomes a bit shallow. Shut up! I meditate. <laughs> So when I give uh, meditation instructions, uh, then sometimes I say, shoulders can relax. You know, and then I see sometimes people, oh. mm-hmm. Or, you know, you can point people to this area, like softening here, yeah, softening the face, softening the uh, The jaw, and then the belly, the belly, and then for us also often solar plexus. There's a lot of this for some. Is this, and of course that uh, that kind of softening and opening that needs time. Uh, Because uh, we are so disembodied, so it's really a journey of. uh, Falling in love again with life's energy and with your body, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, taking the time for that, uh, for that softening, for that opening. This uh, practice of Uh, Allowing, of course, needs the trust in your own inborn goodness, in your own inborn brilliant sanity. So that also needs time to trust that because we are so brainwashed into that uh, that something is wrong with us and that if we work hard, we become lovable, we become these wonderful persons. So to actually trust that you are good enough and that it is all here and that you know, the wisdom and the compassion is, is, is here, it's just waiting there to be discovered. That's really, that needs trust, your own experiences. So then the nature of mind, It, it carries many names, the nature of your mind. And actually, that's what all the traditions are about. They call it differently, but so the nature of your mind, the true nature of your mind. In Buddhism it's also called Buddha nature. It's called the ground. It's Dharmakaya. Yeah? Unconditioned awareness, pure awareness. Emptiness, Voidness, Emptiness, Voidness. The Guru, the Absolute Guru, the Ultimate Guru, the Innate Guru. uh, One of the Tibetan words for, for it is Rigpa. So many placeholders. And uh, in some Buddhist uh, approaches, the way to talk about the nature of mind is to say what it is not. In the Christian mystic, this is called the via, via ne, negatia, or something like that. Negativa, via negativa. And uh, so this is what the Buddha in in the most radical form did in the Heart Sutra, in the second turning of the wheel. So what the Buddha did in the Heart Sutra, and is still doing, if you open to that text, is that he took and he takes away all the toys, everything, very radically. So he also takes away all the holy stuff. So he takes away all the things. It's not this, it's not that. No attainment, no nirvana, no enlightenment, no path, no one going the path, no, no stages, no methods. And of course, also no bank account and no cancer and stuff like that. But he also he takes away also the spiritual attainments, the insights, and that's so uh, so challenging. That in another Prajnaparamita Sutra, it said it says that uh, some of the students, some of the monks, they fainted. Because, uh, you know, it's something, you know, to be a monk and know this stuff and have attained its level of shamata and have memorized all the things and know this and that. And then the Buddha says, no, no. So in, in this method, when everything is taken away, from you, everything you think you are, everything you know, you think you know, you know, every puffed, puffed up spiritual wonderfulness. If if everything is taken away from you, then you look what that does with your mind. What happens in your mind? when the Buddha takes everything away, when all the toys are taken away, when there's nothing to hold on to anymore. So as soon as you find something to hold on to, the Buddha says, no, that's, that's not it. That does not exist. So what happens in your mind when there's nothing anymore to hold on to. And that's it. That's where the Buddha stopped. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but... Then there's nothing. No. There's not nothing. Yeah, but then there's something. No, there's also not something. but then there is no self no no, there's no there is no there is not there's not not a self yeah but then there is a self no there is no self there is neither the self nor is there not a self and uh, that's of course very challenging to stay there. I can feel it now, you yeah? It's just like, you know, what is he talking about? Give me something! Come on, give me something! <laughs> there must be something! There must be something to understand, something to get here. There must be something, ah! There must be something to take refuge into the the answer of the Buddha is ah uh, that's the negation in the Sanskrit language. Uh, it's but it's also an explanation exclamation of wonder. That contains all the teachings of the Buddha. This is the shortest sutra. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is a, this is this is the prasna Paramita, the bouillon of the prashna Paramita, the perfection of wisdom. Is ah. That's it. Buddhism in a nutshell. <laughs> So, but then the Buddha was so compassionate and uh, in, the, in the third turning of the wheel, he kind of, you know, he said, yeah, I give you something. And that what he gave then uh, was the teachings of Buddha nature. So he actually then started to give us something. Yeah. So the explanation of Buddha nature. And there's a danger in that. there is a danger in that that if we make that, which opens in the prashna parameter in that R, if we put names onto it, if we put uh, if we project characteristics into it, if we project our ideas on how it would feel and what it would make and what will happen, and so. There is a danger to make that, which is beyond words, into another concept, into a God, a kind of God. Something which is there, and which we can describe, and which we can attain, and which we can write books on, and something which we can know. So that's why in the the Madhyamika approach, the middle wave approach, you are left with nothing groundlessness. But it's not the nihilistic nothing, of course. It's the nothing which is something. Not really, but... So just a few words about Buddha nature. what, What is, you know, So in the, in the third turning of the wheel, the, the teachings on the Buddha nature are revealed, which then form the foundation for the tantric practices. So really saying, what I meant in the second turning of the wheel was not nihilistic. It's not that there is not, 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 not nothing. There is something. But don't make that something into something. So it's like uh, different pointers. So it's all pointers. So now we are going into a domain of our experience which is beyond words, which is beyond understanding. Nevertheless, it can be presenced. It can be. Recognize is almost too much to say it can be recognized because then I would say there is something you could recognize. The first, one of the one of the words which could could be said about Buddha nature is. that's the quality of knowingness, of wakefulness. So when you meditate on the nature of mind, you look for that quality of knowingness, of wakefulness, which is in each moment. Like now. So there is this Words you hear, and there's annoyingness. There needs to be annoyingness. There needs to be awareness for these words to be heard. And of course, we are. Our attention goes to the sounds, to the content of the sounds. We are not looking into that. That space which knows. Awareness itself. So the same is when you look. So now, so you look and, and that what you see is known. There's a knowingness. The same is true for you know, the sensations in your body. So there's the sensations in the body, but they don't happen in empty space. They are known. If they would happen in empty space, like here, then they, wouldn't have, then they wouldn't be known. But they don't happen in empty space. They happen in, in Buddha nature. They happen in awareness. That's why they are known. So that's the quality of knowingness, and that is the quality which is always already there. It's effortless. Of course, we are fascinated by the content of our experience. And that's what, what we identify with. So we are like, this is the content. So the content is called sem in the Tibetan language. And that's the stream of sense data and your conceptual mind. That's the content of your experience. and That's what our attention goes to. That's what we are interested in. So when you start to explore the nature of your mind you become interested into you become interested to explore that which knows the content of your mind That's the only thing that knowingness which is which was there 5 minutes ago and one hour ago, and last year, and 10 years ago, and 20 years ago. The content of your experience is completely different. Your body is different, your thoughts is different, your feelings is different. The one thing which is the same, it's the knowingness. So the second, another, well, another uh, pointer or something which could be said about Buddha nature is that it is empty. And empty here in the in the Madhyamika sense, it's empty of cis- existing in a solid, concrete way. So. What that, what that implies in the experience, when you look for the nature of your mind, you can't find it. You can't find it as a, as a thing. Because what you are exploring is that which is looking. So we are not You know, we give up the hope that we will recognize awareness as something. It's not something. It's empty of existing in that way. You don't find awareness. And the third one, one, another thing which you could say is, Parabrahu uh, in her in her latest book on True Refuge, she, she this she uh, describes uh, awareness, awareness itself, and the word she uses is gentleness. So there is a quality of. It's non-judgmental, of course, So that knowingness is non-judgmental. It does not say, okay, I know anxiety, and I don't like it, and I know bliss, and I like it. No. (laughs) Awareness says, I know anxiety, and I know bliss. I know it. So it's completely non-judgmental. So, and, that, and that, that non-judgmental, that, you know, Trompa um, Rinpoche calls it goodness, your basic goodness. Uh, Lama Yeshe writes in his book about the nature of, of your mind. He says, the nature of your mind is in the nature of love. And, and that is something... You know, that, that's something um, which is like a, in the in the in the Tibetan in the Tibetan tradition, the, the nature of your mind, the Prajnaparamita, is symbolized uh, by this goddess. So it is it is said to have feminine, feminine, uh, a feminine energy. It's also called the Great Mother. So the, the nature of your mind is also called the Great Mother. It's the womb the womb of reality from which everything comes and dissolves back into. So if you listen, and here listen I mean not only with your with your with your ears, but when you listen in your meditation to the to the if you listen with your whole body and if you, uh, if you become kind of very quiet, you know, so very quiet, and the, you know, the self-centeredness, which is self-created as this story in your head, you know, kind of dissolves a bit. And with that you experience a connectedness, like a connectedness with everything. So then then that that goodness, you know, that womb of reality, mm-hmm. that primordial presence uh, is experienced, reveals itself you know, as a quality which a Christian mystic then would say, God, I'm always in the presence of God. So that's, um, well, that's what Tara Brach calls in, in, in a book, that's the true refuge. That's actually the refuge in the Buddhist teachings. It's not Buddha, I mean Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, but but what it boils down to Buddha, Dharma, Sangha is that that's the true refuge. The last thing before the break in the teachings is it is said this is too simple and it's too close. It's too simple, it's too close. So it can't be this. No, let's make it a bit more difficult. Let's do some more years of study and purification and yoga and Everything and, and, and then, it, because it's too simple, it's too close. What I mean, and now I invested 30 years of prostrations into this. Don't tell me this is simple and it is close.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you saying that me, who have studied 30 years and have meditated 30 years, that I am not closer than you, 19 years old, meditate for one year, uh, one day? That's what I say. That's what I say, that 30 years of meditation, 30 years of study, doesn't mean anything. I'm not closer, and I'm not far away from this than someone who walks in here for the first time and relaxes. And is even maybe in a way because of the what is called the beginner mind, even more you know, more just yeah. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, so so what, what's next? So this is and you know that it is too close and too simple. This is this is really a common you know a common teaching. In and, and the Sogdian and in the Marmut tradition, it's too—it's too simple. That's—it's. It's, uh, I'm not well. I mean, I'm so you know. I need to work harder. I. I it's. Uh, it's not for me. It and it's not now. It's. it's Okay, so let's have a break. So let's uh, slide into our quieter way of being here. You like you can close your eyes if it's more helpful for you to keep your eyes open then you do that and then it's just like uh, shifting sliding and never uh, never starting to meditate so you, you never start to meditate it's um, more discovering a natural meditation. And you allow your uh, center, you allow your center to drop from the head into the bo- body, down into the trunk of your body. And it is a gesture of welcoming, like melting into the arms of someone you really trust. And here you trust uh, the Great Mother. It might be useful to have a, uh, a, a stable, stabilizing, returning place, and that could be the hands resting, or it could be the belly, or the breath, or both. So, kind of in a gentle way. Place you can return, which you can anchor yourself, but without effort. And then from there, there is the panoramic awareness, the resting as the sky. Allow the mental image of your body to dissolve, just resting in the thought-free presence in your hands, in your belly, in your breath. then you experience that uh, thought free stillness is neither inside nor is it outside And centerless. turning, dropping back into the body when you emphasize the stories. And every thought, every sensation, every sound is a wave emerging from the shoreless ocean of the knowing stillness and dissolving back into the knowing stillness. this sentence as a wave emerging from the shoreless ocean of noise stillness and then dissolving back there. is a wave emerging from the shoreless ocean of gnawing stillness dissolving back into it. There. Every thought or any mental image is a wave emerging from the shoreless ocean of knowing stillness, dissolving back into it. There. short moments, there, repeated again and again, now. towards the end of this simple sitting, just sitting, sitting quietly together, whatever goodness arose, whatever kindness arose, there we share with the people we live with, and the people we work with, the people we meet, and we share with all living beings. So that all of us here, may awaken from the nightmare of self-centeredness to the truth of connectedness so that we can be of true benefit. There's not much time left, but are there any questions or doubts? Something which came up for you? Rebellious thoughts?
1: Yeah. talk about the in the belly and solar plexus. Talk about resting in the heart. Yeah. Mhm. a Reason for that? Mhm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Good question. Mm-hmm. I think it's just for me a personal preferences, uh, so that's why I. Um, I think that's why I te- have the tendency to uh, to um, to do that. It has maybe also to do with uh, creating space for difficult feelings, which are somehow for me very much connected with the belly. So no leading meditations uh, for me is is a lot about working with the anxiety or the troubles I have uh, throughout the day and then I'm sitting here and I think God, who am I to sit here? My, uh, my life is a mess, I didn't get anywhere. So then, uh, then I need to work with it. And the way I work with it is the way I guide you. <laughs> 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 and uh, and uh, so that's it could change. It could change that at one point I I feel the the breathing into the heart. Sometimes I do it. I sometimes I do it. So breathing into the heart and yeah. Do you feel it helpful for you? To yeah, we talked about it. So
1: I, yeah. yeah. But sometimes, but it also gets uh, tense get very anxious. Uh-huh. Easily
0: in the heart. In the heart. Yeah. <coughs> um, yeah. in the belly it's more like
1: maybe I feel some live energy and maybe it's just a nut but, yeah. but it's not it's not moving around so much
0: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah yeah but the heart is always beating and yes it's always, uh, uh,
1: yeah
0: yeah so yeah. yeah yeah I think when when we sit here and uh, so I um, you know invite you to connect with the belly I think it's very good for you, then also sometimes to explore. Okay, what is it when I bring that gentleness and that awareness into the heart? What happens then? Uh, I could also be a bit um, careful because of uh, what in the Tibetan tradition is called lung imbalance. Uh, So focusing too much into the heart, in the heart area. So in the tantric teaching, you experience how the life's energy, so the chi or the prana, goes where your attention goes. And uh, and that might, uh, maybe I have a certain kind of respect for bringing it too much into the heart area. Could be. Because I also don't know where are these people, uh, you know, what's happening. So maybe I have a sense that bringing your attention into the belly is kind of, okay, it's kind of safe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. some, there are some teachers uh, who emphasize the breathing into the heart, gently breathing in and out into the heart. Yeah, let's try that. Let's try that next time. Mm-hmm. See what see what uh, what people say. Uh, what uh, what they experience.
1: It often creates much uh, heat, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've tried it.
0: Yeah, for you. Mm. Yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, it creates because i think the heart chakras is to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and the belly is, uh, I think, it spaces like the body? Yeah. 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 So yeah. It's more um, endless in a way. Yes. It's yeah.
0: More cool. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also because we're used to like the heart the center sensor of you as a person, so it can yeah. be very tough to go in there. <laughs>
0: It's, that's nice that you think, that you feel your heart is your center, because <laughs> many people think it's here.
1: <laughs> yes? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I understood, uh, going back to the non-judgment. Yeah. Um, I guess I got some religious thought about it, because I'm wondering
0: how, do you, how how one can be non-judgmental, in your everyday life,
1: Mm. when you are surrounded with so much injustice. Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's like very, very extreme that Mm. I think, you know, doing the opposite or like perhaps being not judgmental or just Mm. keeping silence Mm. is worse than like, you know, acting upon it and doing something about it. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, like I don't know how to understand that.
0: Yeah, the non-judgmental refers to the feelings. So how how do you feel when you are confronted with injustice? So now we don't have time to go into that, but um, there could be all kinds of feelings. There could be anger, there could be you feel overwhelmed, you feel like I give up, this is too much. Um, So the non-judgment is not accepting injustice, it's accepting how the, you feel, and then from that space, you you are more connected. From from theoretically from the tantric teaching, you're more connected with your resources. You're more connected with your real, uh, with your creativity. You're more connected with your courage to actually speak up. But but that speaking up then, or that doing. It's not coming from the little girl or the, uh, the, uh, you know, the uh, the reactive, the reactive self. So, the idea is that uh, through non-judgment, you can actually uh, act in a more beneficial way. So even if like your own. So when you give it a space, like let's say in an unjust situation, this probably is like very
1: negative, or like you could, you know, like let's say I'm very angry about something. Yeah.
0: So then you could uh, then you could explore. Okay, anger anger is usually a pattern which, uh, which you have developed because you don't want to touch the feelings under it. So probably there is actually compassion. Could be. And compassion is difficult to be with, because that means that you be, that you will be that you feel touched by the pain. So, so that the and so the practice of non-judgment, non-judgment or acceptance is, to, to learn to, uh, to accept, and to to increase your capacity to be with your feelings. And then you go out there. Yeah. This is a this is an important point. It is sometimes that's what when people, you know, read about radical acceptance or it has nothing to do with becoming like passive or, you know, okay, uh, you know, you beat me and I accept it or uh, something like that. Not at all. It is actually the opposite. You would be more, you would become more uh, able to stand up for yourself and others, because you, with acceptance, with non-judgment, you, uh, you, uh, you actually raise your vitality to act for the benefit of all. You connect with your creativity. You connect with. What is called in the in the teachings is called the five wisdoms of your Buddha nature. With your intuition, maybe you would say. You connect with intu- your intuition. Uh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it can be misused. The teachings on acceptance can be misused. Uh, for example, you are in a destructive relationship which is really, you know, it's not moving anymore. It's just harmful. So, And you are stuck there. But you're afraid to leave. You're afraid to be alone. You're afraid, you know, that the children might be harmed or, you know, so all kinds of fear. And then you use these teachings of, you know, kind of hanging in there in a in a in a very harmful situation because you use mindfulness, you use meditation as a kind of uh, you know, way to you know yeah I accept this and you know, it's my karma or you know, he, he's he not you know so I should have compassion and, and this is all bullshit because it, it's based on fear. It's not practicing. It's just you know finding an excuse not to not to do what what uh, what you feel to do. So, so uh, the acceptance here means to feel how you feel and to be able to 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 stand up for your feelings and then able to do what is necessary to do. Yes, we need to stop, but... Uh,
1: uh, hmm? Okay, it can be short, because it's just, and then you, you keep saying that you carry your mess with you, but like if you do something like it, like if you make a decision, mm-hmm. you can simplify your life, you can get better, right? Because <laughs> it's a sort of... Yeah, it's if, after in your
0: life. No, your 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 life gets better when you have worked through some of your karma. So, you know, and how do you work with uh, so how do you work how do you purify karma? That's a It's now a traditional talk, yeah? So how can you purify your karma? That depends on how you work with the situation. So if you work violently with this situation, mm-hmm. then you would uh, create the same kind of karma. So you might go out of the situation, but you will end up in the same kind of relationship or in the same kind of situation because you have not worked with it. Yes, definitely. Uh, through purification, that means through loving presence uh, combined with your understanding of emptiness, you, uh, you, you, uh, you work through stuff which then will not be there anymore. Yeah. So then there will be different stuff.
1: Because there's <laughs> there's
0: no, there stuff lining up in our karmic in our karmic history. Yeah. It's it's so you you remove that stuff so that the other stuff can come. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but it's different stuff, so uh, <coughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more interesting mm-hmm. to work with different stuff yeah. not not with the same stuff <laughs> okay, so thank you and um be well and uh. So next, next Tuesday is the last time uh, for this year, it's the 22nd, and then and I will go uh, in January, I have retreat with my wife, and then the, in the last week of January I will start again here, Tuesdays, the last, the last Tuesday
1: in January. Okay, see you. <coughs>